The Faculty Futures Lab is a project of the SDSU Initiative for Inclusive Leadership, a faculty-led effort to grow capacity to lead within institutions of higher education in complex and uncertain times. Funded by the President's Budget Advisory Committee. Learn more at fa.sdsu.edu. All guests speak from their own expertise and experience, not for San Diego State University. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Faculty Futures Lab. I'm DJ Hopkins. I'm a professor at San Diego State University. The workplace practice known as quiet quitting became a viral media sensation at the start of summer 2022, with posts on social media with the hashtag quiet quitting garnering millions of views. While many have enthusiastically reposted tweets and videos, responses have been mixed, including resistance from management specialists and critiques from labor specialists. The perspective of those confused about quiet quitting can be summed up in this question from a New York Times article, why do you need a new term to describe something as ordinary as going to work and doing your job? Quiet quitting initially struck me as a purely corporate phenomenon. It's a business world problem, right? So I thought. Today's episode of Faculty Futures Lab is about quiet quitting in academia, and I'm sure that my guests are going to correct all my misconceptions. First up, Dr. Lacey Barber. Hi, Lacey. Hi, DJ. Dr. Barber is an associate professor at San Diego State University in the psychology department. Her research focuses on worker stress and how leaders can build psychologically healthy workplaces where employees thrive. Lacey and I are joined by Dr. Jennifer Imazeki. Welcome, Jennifer. Hi, DJ. Dr. Imazeki is a Senate Distinguished Professor and Professor of Economics at San Diego State University. Her research has focused on the economics of K-12 education and teaching in economics. Her current role at SDSU is the Associate Vice President for Faculty and Staff Diversity. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you for having me. Everybody, you can check out the show notes online for links to my guests' full bios and mine. I'm also adding some links to articles on quiet quitting in those show notes as well. Lacey, I'd like to start with you. As you heard me say in my introduction, quiet quitting seems to me like a corporate phenomenon. One recent New York Times article linked it to the drama over returning to the workplace full-time or permanently making room for remote work. You're an expert in workplace wellness. How do you see quiet quitting? I do have big feelings about this, so I'm glad you asked me <laughs> to share them. Um, as someone who studies a lot of worker well-being issues, I think the discussion around quiet quitting really hits on a lot of ideas that we've already been talking about in worker health and well-being. Um, I think people have been using it for different ideas that we've been studying a lot, like work engagement um, mm -hmm. versus work withdrawal, uh, for example, and the idea of yeah. organizational citizenship behavior. So that idea oh. goes above and beyond. When we think about performance in the workplace, I like to think of it in three different areas. One is your core task performance. Um, and I think that's what a lot of the discussion is just doing your job. Uh, another aspect mm -hmm. is counterproductive work behavior, which is uh, doing worse than not doing your job, actually working against the goals of the organization, things like sabotage, incivility, mistreatment. Mm -hmm. 
organizational citizenship behaviors on the other side. So it's going beyond what your core tasks are to help out the organization and help out others in the organization. Okay, Lacey. Then in that case, speaking in terms of mental health, is quiet quitting a good idea? Yes. I think pulling back on some of the higher levels of work engagement can be seen as a way that, or I would say a coping strategy that a lot of folks have used to try to preserve their well-being. I think that what has been happening in a lot of organizations is that it's not okay to just meet expectations anymore. People want you to go above and beyond, which is great when it's occasional and appreciated, but when it becomes persistent and unremarkable and part of your job, that is where it gets very draining. And so I think what we're seeing in these discussions is that there is a legitimate pushback against job creep that is coming about due to understaffing issues. So uh-huh. what's happening is people are quitting, real quitting, <laughs> loudly quitting, however you want to say <laughs> right. it, quitting, quitting, and others step up beyond their job to help out as a temporary solution. And I think that is appreciated when that happens. But then organizations don't replace those folks. Uh-huh. Leaving everyone else stuck with that additional work permanently. So not doing those extra things sends a signal of high need for additional help. Okay, that's a lot. Jennifer, you've heard what Lacey's just said, and you heard what I said in my introduction. <laughs> Do you see, you're already chuckling, Do you see quiet quitting surfacing in academic contexts? I'm chuckling because when you mentioned thinking it was only a corporate thing, I find that fascinating because when I first read about it, I assumed it was an academic thing because it (laughs) seems so consistent with what I think is a rational response to what we do in academia, which is a lot of what Lacey was just saying. We expect people to go above and beyond. We ask people to do more and more. And because academics often see their role not as a job, but as a calling and as something higher, they're perfectly willing to go above and beyond. And I think that the pandemic got people thinking differently. And if any, maybe it's not even thinking differently. It burnt people out so much to the point that they felt they had to step back. Faculty having the realization that what they are doing at their university is not a calling, it's a J-O-B. Lacey? Yeah, there's some research in organizational psychology on, and actually three areas, job career calling is where people will fall into how they approach just doing my job for a paycheck um, versus career. I do want to move up on the ladder and achieve, so it's very achievement-oriented. And then the calling is really seeing what you're doing is contributing to a higher purpose, a higher meaning. It's who you are as a person, as an identity. And I think, and that's why I agree with Jennifer here that academics definitely are more likely to have that calling feeling of that higher purpose and meaning. And so um, I think what happens, especially with academics is that gets exploited by others into overwork because they do see what they're doing as as meaningful and it's hard for them to set personal boundaries. Right. 
Right, people, this is a podcast, so you can't see that Jennifer has been nodding, like full head nodding for a while now, listening to Lacey. Jennifer, I think that connected with you. Uh, no, absolutely. And I will say, one of the things I love about being at San Diego State, we are a state school. We have um, a, a very diverse student population. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of people who come to work here because they want to be at a public institution. So it yeah. might be stronger here, but I don't think necessarily that's the case because I have similar conversations with uh, colleagues at all kinds of institutions. And I also mm-hmm. don't think it's just faculty because I now in my position work with a lot of staff who have mm-hmm. just as strong a commitment to our students. And so they will do what they're asked to do for our students. Absolutely. And that makes their, their role here much more expansive. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, when we think about staff, you're right that many of our staff have more defined jobs, they have more defined hours and that sort of thing. But they also are still working with our students, working for our students, working for others who are working for our students. I have yet to meet somebody at an institution of higher education anywhere who doesn't feel a commitment to students as their, you know, their purpose. Thank you so much for that. I am a former school director, department chair. And in that role, I worked with so many of our adjunct faculty. I think what you're talking about in terms of calling that really leads a faculty member to job creep is especially intense for our adjunct faculty. Do you see that, Jennifer? Yes, I absolutely do. What I think is particularly interesting about that is... Prior to my current position, I was the director of our Center for Teaching and Learning. And there were always lots of adjuncts who would participate in that programming. Other people, administrators sometimes would be really surprised by that because they would say they're not being compensated for that time, et cetera. I'm like, yeah, but they're the ones who care about teaching the most. They're here because (laughs) they care about teaching, right? I'll take this opportunity to refer our listeners back to a podcast in the previous season of Faculty Futures Lab about faculty burnout. And we had a whole episode on the adjunct experience of the midpoint, I guess we can call it now, of the pandemic. Lacey, how do we explain this? I think one thing that we see with adjunct faculty, they want to be engaged. They want to do meaningful work. but All of us want sustainable engagement. So doing too much too long isn't sustainable. And that's where we all hit that burnout wall. And that's that's what we're getting with quiet quitting. That's that reaction. And I think that even though it's unintentional, a lot of organizational leaders can take advantage of folks being good citizens, picking up the slack when other folks actually do quit and end up not rewarding them appropriately or letting them step back for rest. And there is an important cycle of rest and recovery that has to accompany engagement. So let me ask you both this question. I'm a professor. I'm feeling burnt out at work. I'm feeling over-serviced. And let's be real, that service burden falls heavily on women faculty and faculty of color. What are the productive ways of addressing burnout and other symptoms of workplace discouragement or dissatisfaction? Before I answer that, can I interject with something really quick? 
Sure. You mentioned that, that this service load tends to fall more heavily on certain populations. Our vice president for student affairs and campus diversity and our chief diversity officer, Luke Wood, often likes to talk about how there were actually two pandemics. There was the COVID-19 pandemic, but there was also mm -hmm. the pandemic around essentially social justice. Um, right. All of the uprisings, particularly in the summer of 2020. So that in some ways had some good um, impacts in terms of a lot of institutions trying to do more to address social justice. I know that at San Diego State, we've been ramping up exceedingly the amount of work that we're doing to address diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we are not alone. Yeah. And Does that translate into, uh, you know, lifting the service, service burden? Yeah. It, it's service work. It's revamping how we teach. It's revamping what we teach. It's thinking about who we're hiring differently. All of this yeah. at the same time yeah. that people are burnt out already. In some ways, we're asking people to do more and to do it differently right at a time when they want to do less and just get back to normal. In order to address a service burden. Yes. I see the paradox you're describing, but also I see the, the value in trying to address these inequities. Exactly. What are the things that an individual might be able to do? I love that Jen is speaking about institutional action. What are the things that I can do if I'm contemplating quiet quitting? I think at the individual level, you can step back and look at where you're spending your time, what you're doing and seeing, especially if you're at the burnout stage. I mean, the opposite of what we're talking about of meaning is cynicism, right? And feeling that oh, you're not, what oh. you're not doing is making an impact. I should clarify, we think of the notion of burnout a lot of that has been conceptualized as having three aspects. Actually, there's the uh, emotional exhaustion, which I think most of us think of first on just feeling very fatigued. Um, the second is cynicism, uh, feeling like oh. what we're doing is not having an impact. It doesn't matter. And the right. third one is um, low professional efficacy, which is feeling like we as individuals are not skilled enough to do our jobs the way we want. And the opposite of burnout on that continuum is work engagement, which hits at the ideas of feeling bursting with energy, feeling vigor. And the other one is feeling absorption, like that you really get in a flow of your work. Mm -hmm. You know, that you, you're really, you're not overthinking and reevaluating. And I think what Jennifer brought up is so fascinating because when we do have to engage in organizational change and do things differently, it does make us feel a little less skillful. We feel a little bit more incompetent in our jobs. You know, asking someone to engage in another level of training or go revise their tenure and promotion policies, even though we know right. deep down it's the right thing to do and this is going to yeah. make better, it's also work. And it's work right. that doesn't make us feel confident. And it's not a source of joy. Yes, it doesn't spark joy. It will spark joy later. There's a payoff later, <laughs> but not in the moment. It doesn't feel it's another thing to do. When we're busy, when we overextend ourselves and we get too busy, I think one of the ways you can just, just cognitively reframe is the term that we use on think about, step back and say, why am I doing this training? Why am I doing this task? And think about that high level goal and how important it is because really like these big 
you know, tackling social justice issues, being there for our students. These are uh, really sexy, big ideas, <laughs> abstract, right? Like it, it, it gets us going. We love the abstract. We love it. That's what excites us. We don't like concrete things to do. <laughs> and so the more we can, and, and it, it's the mundane, right? It's the mundane. And the more right. we can connect our mundane activities to those big ambitions and the purpose, the reason that we get out of bed every morning, that's right. how we can overcome that gap. When you're sitting across from a professor, an adjunct, a staff member who's feeling burnout, who's in your office because quiet quitting is already on the table. What do you tell them? Honestly, I would tell them it's okay. That this is a perfectly normal, rational reaction to what we've all been through for the last few years. It's a perfectly rational reaction to the demands of this institution, higher education in general, academia in general. I think that some of what is involved in that is people questioning that calling part, right? When you have right. always loved what you do and always gotten energy from what you do and always been been eager to do it, and now suddenly you're not, that mm -hmm. in and of itself, I think, perpetuates some of this, well, maybe this isn't a calling. Maybe this isn't what I should be doing. Maybe I don't have right. the purpose I thought I had. And I think letting people know simply that no, none of that has changed. It's just, you need to rest. Yeah. That sounds like wisdom. Yeah. You just need to rest. Rest and reconnect because what, what we see over and over in research oh. is what brings people from the brink back from burnout is being to reconnect with their communities and reconnect with the significance of their tasks and their felt competence, feeling like they can move forward. There's a pathway forward. And to do that, we all have to work together with appreciation. You know, thank you. And I see what you're doing. And that is meaningful to me. Jennifer, to come back to a university context, how do we strengthen the social fabric? I think that one of the things that makes that so challenging is it's a shift in the focus of the institution in this, uh -huh. in the sense that to say that we value that community, to say that we value right. connection among our employees, not just our students or not just between our employees and our students, but to say we value mm -hmm. Mm -hmm connection for our faculty and staff with other faculty and staff as well as right. with their students. That is not where most institutions of higher education are thinking, right? A lot of it is yeah. on their students. And those of us who work with and for the faculty and staff at these institutions we've been thinking about this, right? We, you know, it's part of doing faculty and staff development is, you know, all these yeah. kinds of things, but it's not what we have done institutionally. Given that so many faculty are already feeling overworked or burnt out, if you're trying to build more of a community on campus for the faculty, it seems to me that one of the biggest obstacles to doing so is going to be faculty. 
it's really hard be, it, it, to get faculty to connect when many faculty are are trying to stay away from campus unless they have to teach. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I hear faculty all the time who say, oh, it's so good to see you in person, right? <laughs> when I run yeah. on campus, I think I oh. said it to teach it when I, I saw you at the first time after the shutdown, right? Every, right. When people see each other on campus and are able to make those connections, that's what we comment on. And yet, right. it's not always enough to actually get us to come to campus. But counterintuitively, that connection is what can heal some of the burnout that has become so evident as we've all lived through the same pandemic. At the same time, I think I know a lot of faculty who, be, who feel like they don't have time to just go be, just go be social, right? And that's, right. that's one challenge. Well, yeah. That, right? So. Absolutely. Again, it's framing. If you go in and think about how can I spend the least amount of time on campus or just zoom into sessions just to get the content, you're missing out on that community aspect and that, that social aspect that makes our jobs more fun. And DJ, I have yeah. to bring up because, you know, I met you, I think, through these podcasts. Yeah. First time, right? Mm -hmm. But then we had that semester where I was teaching in a class before you. And, and we would chat between classes most weeks. Yeah. It was pretty great. It was pretty great. But I, I also want to mention for, for this connection. So Jennifer, I work with Jennifer on her work on helping with faculty hiring. And, you know, again, that could have been a task or a role that I take on as oh, one more thing. Right. But I'd interacted with Jennifer quite a bit. And found that great and enjoyed chatting with her and made those connections. Another source of enjoyment. <laughs> Jennifer, Lacey, thank you both so much for joining Faculty Futures Lab today and sharing some laughs and wisdom. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you, DJ.